Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated and then try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. The baseball season is winding down, but we're about to have the two biggest months of the regular season. So you're definitely going to be wanting tickets. If your team's in, con- in, in contention, you might be making a decision kind of at the last minute. You know what? It's Tuesday night. Let's go ahead and go. You jump on SeatGeek. And you're going to guarantee yourself the best prices, even with that sort of uh, game day type of buying, as opposed to buying them in, in advance. And because SeatGeek is the only place I ever go to look for tickets to a game or concert, that's 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 kind of how I know. I, I actually use the product here. I have the app on my phone, and it, it's great. It's taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. SeatGeek pulls all the tickets available on other sites into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming games, and SeatGeek will let you know if the price falls. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full ticket price from start to finish and never surprises you with huge fees at checkout. Now, our listeners will get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do to get that $20 rebate is download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo code. Enter promo code SLEEPER, S-L-E-E-P-E-R, and then SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code SLEEPER today. Welcome to episode 374 of The Sleeper in the Bust. It's Friday, August 5th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, how are you doing? I'm like as owl. I like that as an intro. <laughs> hey, it's Friday. It is Friday, and I'm pretty excited about it because, first off, you know this. Any, any quality pitching matchup is going to intrigue me and yourself. But when it involves my favorite team and your favorite team, that's a little bit different. And we've got mm. Thor versus Verlander tonight in Detroit, 610 Central. I'm geeked. It's going to be great. How excited are you for this outing, for this start? Pretty excited. I'll probably be watching it in the clubhouse. So uh, I bet you, you know, I bet you it'll be on, and I bet you that everybody will be watching it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those games that. You know, you're going to be drawn to the TV. Everyone, everyone is interested in these two. I, I think even if they weren't pitching at the level that they are right now, it'd still be one of those things that really draws you. But the fact that both are pitching so well, uh, really, really is going to make it kind of an event tonight. So I'm really excited to see it. I was thinking of going to the movies tonight. Push that until tomorrow because I gotta watch this game. Let's get real. Okay, I gotta get I gotta get dinner situated beforehand, and then it's a three hour block of just leave me alone, because both guys are gonna go twelve innings. That's that's my prediction. I put a thousand dollars on it that these two guys would both go twelve innings in a zero zero game, and then a JD Martinez walk off off of Juris Familia. That's how it's gonna go. Sorry, that's <laughs> just how it's gonna go, Mets fans. Uh-oh. You know, 
Um, we got plenty to talk about, as we always do. Uh, we don't have a nickname episode this week. We might, or this time around, we might squeeze in some nicknames, but uh, we got to save that for special episodes. That was too good of an episode. We expended a lot of uh, of our co- of our comedic genius was put. Yeah, was put. So uh, now. yeah, we're we're, we're overextended. We're overextended. We need we need some rest. We need to go to the bullpen. You know who isn't going to the bullpen though? Aaron Sanchez. And you know we we thought he was going because that was all of the news. And so we were reporting that news that he was he was going to go to the bullpen. They were going to go ahead and send him. I think they realized that uh, their chances, Toronto's chances of success. Go down drastically if you send Aaron Sanchez to the bullpen. You're talking about a guy who is a legitimate front runner here for the American League Cy Young. They couldn't move him. How do you feel about this move, Aaron Sanchez, sticking in the rotation and them going to a six-man? Wait, they're going to a six-man? Yeah. That's, oh, that's, so that's how they're going to manage it. That's him how here. they're going to manage it is by going to a six-man. And skipping him something. If you're going to ask me who's coming in, I don't necessarily no i guess it'll be stroman sanchez dickie hap estrada and then liriano there you go liriano, the yeah. new guy hey well then maybe that helps liriano a little bit i mean we know he doesn't you know get a lot of in- he doesn't get a lot of uh innings in a, in a normal season and we know that uh something's wrong with him this year so <laughs> um maybe that'll be uh the magic bullet for uh two of their guys keep sanchez in there and uh, and uh, do something for Liriano. I did want to check here uh, because what we've been saying is that there are ways to watch a pitcher for fatigue and injury mm-hmm. um, that have nothing to do. Um, well, velocity is one of them, but uh, but um, but it gets a little bit more refined than that. And basically, y'all have heard me talk about this before. I think it's a lot of the same stuff that goes into the injury finder. Um, and so basically what you're looking for is inconsistency in release point, uh, velocity loss, uh, inability to hit the strike zone, um, and, uh, and in particular late game inconsistency in release point. So I uh, just pulled that up for Aaron Sanchez, and this is one clean, clean... Uh, looking boy right here. The velocity is held steady at 94.5. Um, it's even up a little bit in recent games, but uh, but really just real steady all year. Uh, the late game inconsistency is a flat line, so that's really good. I mean, he's he's uh, had a couple bumps in the road early in the season, but he's really repeated his delivery well. And going into the season, he said that putting on some weight was going to help him that- with that. That was a huge factor for Aaron Sanchez. It was it was it was buzz around their camp and, and kind of on MLB Network. I remember Marcus Stroman, one of the few players that I actually follow on Twitter, was like snapping photos of of Aaron Sanchez bulked up. And I remember there was a couple joke ones where they showed him at the at the food line like loading up and and just kind of making offhanded jokes about how he's putting on muscle and you know wanting to have that grind of being ready for a 200-inning season. Now, the thing of it is, he went 99 innings last year, so if they make it to the playoffs, he's angling toward doubling his his pitch count, or his innings count from last year. But everything that you talk about, the stress here hasn't been there. And Russell Martin backs up what you're saying. Obviously, his catcher, you know, I don't think he would go on MLB Network necessarily and say, yeah, he's struggling big time. But I feel like if it was a situation where he thought that there was a lot a loss in effectiveness, he would tell 
the Toronto brass say maybe, hey, maybe we should actually pull the reins back. He's he's coming off the rails. But he, nothing suggests that Aaron Sanchez is coming off the rails at all. And so this has got to be great news for fantasy. What about the people who sold early? <laughs> uh, how, how do we feel for them? Well, you know, you probably sold with a certain innings count in mind. And that innings count is going to be a little bit higher. But the innings count, because they're in a six-man, is probably going to be a little bit lower. That's true. So he's not going to be, you know, the standard every fifth day. And there's no way that he, uh, that Sanchez will give you two uh, outings in a head-to-head matchup late in the season. Yeah, you're never, you're not getting that anymore. I think there might be other guys in their rotation who can get the, the, the two, even with this kind of six-man finagling. He's going to be the one who's going to be pushed out of that. That's kind of what they're trying to avoid is I think they're going to have some skips. You know, a, a couple weeks back, I did, I did a loose mapping of Sanchez where I was kind of trying to manipulate it and give him some, uh, some days off maybe in, in what I perceived as easier series and all that sort of stuff. I didn't think about the six-man rotation piece because that's when they still had Drew Hutchison, and I didn't know if they wanted to. And plus, Marco Estrada was on the DL. Um, but the way I, the way it kind of added up is even with all of that, he was still going to be pushing about 192 innings compared to – actually, I think his total last year was 102. So that would be 90 extra innings. But if they can get him there healthy – I think Jeff Passan from his data from the arm suggests that moving a guy to the bullpen is no 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 kind of surefire measure at all, and yeah. I think that that is interesting. I don't know how much of any in of- fact it, it seems to me like that would be a little bit weird to do. Like I would rather keep a guy in his role and give him extra rest and do that and keep him, you know, basically doing the same thing every day. And, and approaching the game the same way and approaching rest and relaxation and warm up and cool down the same way then have him go from being a starter where everything is you know built for that fifth day to to blow it out it, now you're in a bullpen run out there and pitch as hard as you can and then and then uh, maybe we'll do it again tomorrow that's a, gr- <laughs> that's a great call yeah how, how is that? A better solution. So no, I, I think I think you make a great that's, point we there. We've seen that with Iglesias, you know, because they still want Rysel Iglesias in Cincinnati. They still want him to start next year. So instead of they they did put him to the bullpen, but it's not. Let's put him to the bullpen. He's our closer. You know, we're going to change him into a reliever. It's like basically he's a starter in the bullpen. Instead of pitching five innings every five days, pitching two innings every five days or two innings every three days. It's it's more like a starter's approach, uh, even though he's in the bullpen. They, they, they pitch him a couple innings, and they pitch it every few days, and it doesn't really do back-to-backs and stuff. So, um, you know, I think that uh, – I think that's uh, – I think this is a good decision. I think this is probably what the Nash, Nats should have done with Steven Strasburg. Um, and what would they end up doing that year? I don't remember. Operation Shutdown, but not in the Derek Bell. Not, not in the – yeah, not the Derek Bell situation. <laughs> Um, no, it's, uh, I like this. I think this is, this is the right way to go. You know, I think, I hope that they just kind of analyzed it and said, you know what, this, it's the, this is the right move. This is our best chance. This is not a situation where we're going to gain anything by, by pulling the, pulling the brakes on Aaron Sanchez. Let's push forward, see what we can get going. And, uh, this, this gives us our best chance to win. 
All right, you know, let's move on to John Lester. He's been sputtering lately, um, and it, it doesn't look good. And I feel like there's certain guys that any, anytime they, they go a little bit sideways, the panic button goes a little harder, and I think he's one of them. Now, he is coming off of his most recent start, six shutout innings um, against Seattle. But before that, it, it was it was a pretty rough July. Um, he had a 10-13 ERA in 16 innings. Uh, before that, 21 hits, 18 earned runs, 12 walks, 15 strikeouts, six homers. So he, you know, couldn't even salvage July with that with that good start against Seattle. Obviously, it's nice to see him pitching well in, in his most recent outing. But where do we stand with with Lester? Is this is this a lull? Is this anything to worry about? Because sometimes we see the the down period, and then the guy has a good start, and and we. We pulled off the panic button, but maybe we shouldn't. Is one start good enough to get you off the panic button for Lester, or do you have some viable concerns here? I understand why people think he's not that good, because if you watch him, it's not super impressive. A lot of times it's Those not. Those pickoff throws are pretty good, though. <laughs> but but uh, he's. I think he, he reminds me of Madison Bumgarner. I think they're very similar in that they um i mean they're lefties first of all they have you, you when you look at the gun you say oh it's only 90 you know 91 92 what's going on that's not that's not impressive except for a lefty that's impressive mm-hmm. um and then they also both throw a ton of cutters and a ton of uh cutters and curves and they don't throw i mean they're basically they're very very similar uh cutters and curves and four seamers and uh very few change-ups and, um, you know, I think what really works for them is that everything comes out the same spot and looks the same until the last, you know, 10 feet, the four seamer goes up, uh, the cutter, you know, stays there and, and bores in a little bit and the curve goes all the way down. So, um, and for what I, for what I'm understanding of what hitters can see, major league hitters can see, I think it's a lot less than what people think. Um, oh yeah. Oh Yeah. I was talking to Rich Hill about, uh, you know, oh, what about, you know, spin on the ball? And he's like, they can maybe see spin, but it's not uh, necessarily how much spin. It's pretty much just if it's up, down, or sideways. Okay. So, you, like, imagine uh, a blurry ball. You, it, It's not so much like the dot on the slider and stuff. It's just like, do you see the red going like up down or do you see the red going sideways? Cause it's spinning. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that might be the one piece of information. You, that might be the one piece of information you get from the ball. <laughs> the rest you get from, if you see fingers above the ball or to the side of the ball, it's, uh, it's crazy how fast all of that is processed too. all, and, all, all but, of these little things you're talking about have to be like that. And that's it. <laughs> you know? yep. And then you have you to decide might, swing or not. Yeah. And you might get, you might get a little bit of sense of velocity, but you really only have that first five feet. And then your brain is telling your brain is telling your body. I don't think you really can tell fastball because if you think about it, why would rich Hill lead the league in four seam whiff rate? His four seam goes 90 miles an hour. You know, it is it's not blah, but it's not, it's certainly not, it's not Noah Syndergaard's pitch, yeah. you know? Yeah. And uh, I think the whole reason is what he's told me is that uh, he has very high spin. It's very high up-down spin on the four seam and the two, and the curve, right? So the spin looks the same in terms of it's up. It's like 
up down, except that for the curve, it's forward down, and for the four seam, it's backwards up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But this the spin direction looks very similar. The spin magnitude looks very similar. And he tried really hard to make sure his fingers uh, don't give it away. So basically, if if you could tell velocity, you'd be like, oh, hey, guess what? This is a curve. I'm not going to swing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, guess what? This is a fastball. Time to swing. Um, and the fact that his, his whiff rate is so high on the curveball means that they're sitting on a certain velocity and probably curve, and they can't catch up to the 90-mile-an-hour fastball uh, because they didn't know it was a fastball fast enough, right? Absolutely. So I think that is that 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 sort of spin mirroring effect and that that thing is probably like a real nice a, uh, uh, way for us to look forward um, into um, phys- pitching research and and figure out better stuff, right? Um, but the problem is that spin axis as a stat uh, is is actually not observed. It's a calculated one, and it's calculated by TrackMan. It's calculated by PitchFX, so it's, it's sort of useless. It's just it just looks at the movement and says this this must be the spin axis. Um, I think that if we could ever observe spin axis, then we might be able to say, ooh, uh, you know, what makes Lester, John Lester, and Madison Bumgarner so great is that all of their spin is sort of on this, um, you know, if they're, they're both kind of similar um, arm slots too, like uh, I would call it like two-thirds maybe. And, um, you know, if the spin sort of looks like that two-thirds spin all the time, um, then, uh, then maybe they just have a real hard time knowing which of the pitches is coming. Um, so I, I don't see, long story short, I don't really see any problems in Lester's line, except for home runs, which we know are a problem for everyone. Sure. And, um, you know, yeah, his BABIP could regress a little bit, but you know, those home runs actually take from the BABIP. So, um, you know, his steamer projected line with the 283 BABIP going forward and basically one home runs per nine is going to give him a 3-2-1 ERA, 114 whip. I, I don't really see – I look through all of his movements, uh, all of his velocities, his release point. Everything looks about the same. So uh, I know that when you watch him, it looks kind of boring. But uh, John Lester is, is still a, a strong pitcher in this league. Stay the course with John Lester. Maybe scoop him up if uh, somebody's trying to sell based on the good start that he had after four crummy ones. You know, he's not one of the flashiest prospects out there, but Braden Shipley is a legitimate top 100 prospect. Uh, coming into the season, per baseball reference, he was 77th for Baseball America, 67th for MLB, and 38th over at BP. Um, went into AAA, was okay, kind of survived in Reno, the PCL, but then has now been called up for two starts, one good, one bad. He gave him three homers in one of them. It was it was not a good start. Anyway, you slice it, five and a third, six six runs, but then six shutout at the Dodgers' his last time out. We've only got two starts. But what, what's your outlook on Braden Shipley? Is he somebody we should pull up for a stretch run to maybe get some goodness out of, or is he just kind of a, uh, an up-and-down, bland prospect that we're, we're going to see the rest of the way? You know, he was a guy that we uh, – or did we see? I interviewed him at an AFL. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, I think we did see him at a- – sorry, I was on mute. I'm, like, sitting there talking. I was like, he's not responding to me. I'm a clown. Um, I think he was at AFL. Let, let me let me recall here. No, he was not at AFL this year. 
And then I must have, oh, I must have talked to him in, in Arizona camp because I always go to the Diamondbacks camp. Who knows why, but I do. Um, and, uh, and to talk to Dave Stewart, <laughs> my buddy, my homeboy, he throws a knuckle curve and it's pretty tight. It's pretty nice. I don't know what the kids say these days. Um, but it's a hard one at about 80 miles an hour. It has really nice drop. It is a plus pitch. It's already getting plus whiffs. It's given up some homers so far, but I would blame that. I would put that more in the feet of his other two pitches in that, you know, if you can, if you can see that someone has a plus pitch and they love it a lot, then maybe you sit on it. Otherwise, I don't think that there's anything in it in the pitch itself that says, oh, yeah, um, this guy is going to give up home runs on this curveball. It's a, it's a good curveball. And uh, it's it's a little bit straight, but it's uh, got a lot of drop. That's good. He had uh, Brandon Shipley had no real home run issues in the minors. A .6 over 442 innings. So you know you're going to look at a 2.4 in two starts. You can't pay attention to it in two starts for one. Uh, but again, it was three homers in one Although game. Although Scooter Jeanette took him so deep. Scooter Jeanette every once in a while has these like amazing home runs. Remember the opening day one against. Madison Bumgarner when he when Scooter Jeanette's never done anything against lefties. So he hey, okay, so Braden Shipley is Madison Bumgarner. <laughs> exactly. That's I'm saying that right now. Pick him up. He's Madison Bumgarner. He's nothing less. He's probably even better than him. I'm just saying. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, for whatever reason, Jeanette can come up with these memorable home runs every once in a while. Because yeah, he's he smashed that one against Shipley, and then there were two others. T- tough tough debut for sure. But I love the bounce back in Dodger Stadium. Going six scoreless, five hits, one walk, four strikeouts. Doesn't look like he's going to be a huge strikeout guy, at least initially. Um, wasn't really in the minors either, though, so I don't even know if down the line we're necessarily going to see big-time strikeout numbers. Once he started reaching the high minors, Braden Shipley's strikeouts really kind of leveled off in like a six-and-a-half to uh, six range. So I think it, that's kind of going to be what we're dealing with here, but – what sort of league format might you pick up a Braden Shipley for the rest of you? Is he a spot starter for you in, in mixed leagues, or is it NL only? I think I'd stick with NL only, deeper dynasties where you can stash them, keep them on your bench, see what's going to happen. He's lost a lot of velocity since he was a top prospect. At some point, he was sitting 92, 93, and right now he's sitting 91. Uh, that's only average velocity for a righty, so it could actually turn into home run problems. Uh in the major league just because that's not really great velocity, but uh, did have a good ground ball right so far. And if you could play him away from home in those deeper leagues, you might be able to actually play him some. Yeah. Uh, the, the Dodger stadium start, that, that's, that's a neutral venue, you know, in Milwaukee in his debut that you probably were avoiding that anyway, even in like an NL only, if you wanted to get Braden Shipley, that wasn't a good spot to go. You don't want to mess with Milwaukee at Milwaukee. They're a halfway decent offense, and that's, of course, a good park. So I'm okay avoiding guys there. Don't... I think I might avoid them at home. I mean, it's just it's yeah, that, tough. That, that park's there. tough, especially for a contact guy. If he's going to yeah, be I... more contact, there's gaps for days to hit extra base yeah. hits. And then on top of that, the you know guys tell me that you know dry dryness is, is tough on people with breaking that's, balls. That's right. That's right. And uh, he's, he's breaking ball first with that curveball. So I don't know. Uh, the last two years have been really bad for him in terms of his uh, prospect pedigree. I mean, it's just uh, he used to strike out a lot of guys and have a bigger fastball, and now he's got a more boring fastball and the strikeouts are gone. So, so Braden Shipley kind of bland, but, uh, you know, t- take a look. 
Uh, you might need him in like an NL only where, where you're where you're piecing things together. Last last episode we talked about a bunch of injured guys. Uh, there are leagues of of a certain depth where you might want to take a shot because he was a, a, a former top prospect. Maybe he uncaptures or unlocks some of what he used to have. But like you said, it, the stock has kind of leveled out a little bit here. Let's talk about a guy whose stock has has severely declined, but the name value kind of keeps him high in the in the in the minds of many. Felix Hernandez, since coming off of the DL, has a 5.60 ERA. And now the thing of it is is that. He took a 286 onto the DL, but I don't think anybody really believed in it. Um, it, it was a it was a flimsy 286 for sure. I want to say his FIP was probably about 350. I don't know for sure. I know I know it was into the threes, into the mid threes, and it was kind of clear that he wasn't really pitching to the level of a 286. First three starts since coming off the DL. In fact, his last start before the DL as well it took him from a 221 all the way up to a 346 now. His three his three July starts weren't great. He goes again tonight. I don't really know what to do with Felix Hernandez at this point. You know, again, has some name value in the market if you find the right person, if you're really trying to sell. But I just don't know that selling is 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 the best measure right now and don't feel great about starting him. So he's one of those in-between guys, and that's the toughest spot to be with, with somebody that you're, you were relying on for something pretty big this year uh, in the form of, of Felix Hernandez. What do you think? Yeah, you know, velocity gap is not that uh, hugely important to him because he's always had a power change. But right now, the gap between his changeup and his sinker is like three miles an hour. It's not. It's non-existent. Yeah, and I think that just means like what we're saying about um, you know squaring things up and and how much information they have going into it and stuff. If you've got a pitch. That, uh, and now the uh, horizontal movement difference between the change and the sinker is also uh, only an inch. So, uh, you know, you've got that, that change up is now, and in, in terms of drop, uh, you know, th- that's what he still got there is five inches of drop on the change up. So I guess, you know, if you were thinking sinker, you could, you, you, you still could miss that change up. And that's why it still has, um, you know, it's still effective for him, but in terms of speed, at least you can you can uh, you can sit at a certain speed on him now, and uh, that just makes him easier to hit. And uh, all of his all of his sort of outcome stats uh, reflect that now. And the changeup in terms of whiff rate has you know has mellowed out. It's 18% now. Average is 14%, and it, no other pitch is above average in terms of whiff rate. And that and that changeup used to be such a bread and butter pitch for Felix. Like that's that's the and it can't. I mean, it still is, but now there's nothing else. You know, now exactly. It's it's supplemented by literally nothing, and it's not even as 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 elite as it used to be. So it you brought the changeup down a level and washed out everything else quality, and this is what we're left with. Yeah. Is, is this what it is now, Eno, or do you see a path to to return here? Well, you know, velocity stabilizes pretty quickly coming back. We, yeah. we are doubtful that a 31-year-old next year is going to shoot up in velocity either. Can yeah. he can he do anything to manipulate the change and and take it down 5 miles per hour while still keeping it effective? Like how how difficult is something like that? No, I 
that I mean, taking velocity off is the number one thing that everybody wants to do on a changeup, and it's super difficult because you can take it off by slowing your arm, but then everybody knows it's a changeup. I mean, that's everything that happens before release point. You know, the batters can see. So if uh, if his arm is slower, then they're going to pick it up. So he needs to throw it as hard as he throws his fastball in terms of his arm speed, and uh, he's not going to be able to take velocity off. And um, you know, velocity stabilizes really quickly after return. He's three starts in, and his velocity is a little better than it was before, um, but um, not. I mean, pretty much about this, exactly the same as it was uh, b- b- right before he went on the DL. So yeah. ninety point five basically, and um, you know that's below average velocity for a, for a, a righty. So that means you know below average fastball. Um, Below average slider, slider's never been the best, and uh, the curve is hanging around average, but that's way down at eighty. Um, so I don't know. It's not great. I don't, it's I don't, not. I don't really see it. And in fact, I think maybe the projections aren't capturing how bad it's been. No, I, I think that's that's a certainty. And that you know, we talk about it on the other end when when the projections don't quite capture the changes that a young player has made to take to take some steps forward. And so they kind of ding them for previous years. It works in reverse too with with previous studs who are declining at a little bit more of a rapid clip. It, it won't necessarily capture the fact that they're having these declines because you look at all of these zips, steamer, and depth charts, and they all look like a guy that you want to keep starting mid threes quality whip uh for for about 65 uh to 70 innings and i just don't think we're going to get anything under four right now barring some some good luck yeah i mean yeah look at his strikeout rate and all the projections say he's going to up that strikeout rate but what if he doesn't we're still talking about felix hernandez by the way just for those that might have zoned (laughs) out once you go four or five minutes on a player i've been there you know you're doing something else and i zone out sometimes too so still talking about felix hernandez here but 8.7 percent swinging strike rate worst whiff rate of his career and uh right now 7.4 strikeouts per nine the last time he had anything close to this bad of a whiff rate he only had 7.8 strikeouts per nine for the season so, and he had a bad walk rate this year. So it's looking a lot like 2008 when he had a 345-139. That's a 345 ERA-139 whip. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's right where he sits right now. Uh, except he's also a lot older. I was going to say. The fastball doesn't have that same bite. Things are and a little different now. League average home run rate is a lot higher. And um, his ground ball rate is lower. So, you know, I think um, Steamer saying 359 with a 123 whip. And eight strikeouts for nine, yeah, that's not quite enough for me. I would say, I'm not sure I'm going to say four, but I'm going to say like three, seven, five, one, three, uh, with seven strikeouts for nine. So that's, uh, I had a little bit more hope that the that the that he'd come back with something a little bit more rejuvenated after the after the uh, DL stint, and I don't think that's been the case. And so I think I probably ranked him too high. I don't have the rankings right in front of me, but I'd probably make him a borderline guy. I'm not sure he's droppable yet. I dropped Sonny Gray before I dropped Felix Hernandez. But um, he's probably right there in that 60 to 65 range, just, uh, you know, like a number four. Like if you were in a really tight head-to-head race right now and you needed to win to get in and you could see a streamer, I don't know. I, somebody asked me if they, if they should drop Drew Pomerantz. 
uh, in a head-to-head league where they really had to to go for it this Eno, week. Eno, you're the segue master. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move over to the next uh, to the next one here. That's who I want to talk about. And and I don't have a a a pointed question about him, but assess Drew Pomeranz with Boston so far. I know it's only a couple starts, but what are you seeing? Uh, and and how are we dealing with Drew Pomeranz the rest of the year? Because the biggest concern when he came over, you know, when when people were kind of assessing that, okay, they paid too much and here's why, one of the biggest things was that he, like Aaron Sanchez, was going to run up on a uh, on an innings count from, from his previous career highs pretty easily, but he certainly wasn't pitching as cleanly and as well as Aaron Sanchez either, despite kind of similar ERAs. Sanchez is doing going about it in a much smoother way, whereas, you know, Pomeranz is a little bit wonky with, with, with the walks. He obviously is changing leagues, changing teams, going clear across the country, whole lot of different factors. So far, it hasn't been that great, and the walk rate has actually really shot up. Uh, thanks to six in his last outing yesterday against Seattle, uh, it was two, two, and two in the first three games. But we have not seen great outings either. Five, two, five, and two earned runs. And then so a couple six and twos, that, that's not bad. But again, even yesterday against Seattle, six walks with it. You, you don't feel great about the six and two when it comes with six walks. You know, I think I might be as worried about the fact that he's given up five home runs and four starts since he went over. And it's not necessarily park factors as much as, you know, league factors. Yeah, the new league. Uh, to, to point out, he had given up five in his previous nine starts combined. Yeah, and really, one of those nine starts, he gave up three. So, like, that almost understates the case. He had a lot of games with zero home runs. Yep, t- tons and, of them. And basically, if you took that three home run away, game away, that he, he still won that game. It must have been. Uh, it was three solo three, shots against three Washington. Solo shots by Washington, yeah. If you take that one away, he either gave up zero or one home runs in every single uh, game, and he never had back to back games of one home run allowed except for that that three. So and that was sixteen starts. Basically, it was starts. like zero, oh. one, zero, one, zero, 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 zero. You know, like so. You know, like a guy pitching in the NL West. You know yeah, I mean? exactly, exactly. <laughs> We uh, we can call it his nickname could be binary code. Oh right, there you go. Zeros and ones. Uh, Did I do that right? uh, Yeah, it's okay. I think that's. Yeah. Sorry, it's not a female body part. Well, I guess. No, no, it's just it's super contextual. I mean, I guess men have. People would be like those two, right? Uh, sorry, I'm going back to Aaron Nola. That was just the best nickname ever. Uh, by the way, by the way, talk about Pomeranz digits. I. I... I gotta go back. I gotta go back to the nickname episode because I clowned you for the Orlando Blue Marcia. Because I'm like, what are you bringing up Orlando Blue for? <laughs> the very next day, he was trending on Twitter, and I I was dead. I was dead. Obviously, it was Orlando not. Orlando Bloom was. Yeah. It was not for that wonderful nickname, but yeah, Orlando Bloom. The very next day, pops up number one trend on Twitter, and I'm like, <laughs> you know, does it again. I haven't even thought about Orlando Bloom in decades. Yeah, you're ahead of the curve on things like that. So, okay, so you're 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 worried about the home runs for sure. We knew the walks were going to be a part of it with Pomeranz. Like I said, I understand he's at 5.3, and that's an alarming rate. Six in one game and six in the three games before that. The, the six in one game still counts, but my point is, is that he's not walking five every game right now. Uh, but the walks are a problem. Home runs are a problem. He's given up a bunch more. Hit. I mean, everything's just been been tough for, for Drew Pomeranz. And we're at 122 innings. That's a major league high. 86 was uh, – or 96 back in 2012 was his previous career high. What are you doing with Drew Pomeranz right now? Are you cutting him in – what was that, a 12-team league that somebody asked you about? 
Well, let's yeah, it was a 12 team head to head where they basically had to win this week to get into the playoffs. So I think you know the bar for the replacement level at that point becomes um, how, am I, how do I say this right? You basically all hands on deck. I mean, like yes. you just got to do what you got to do. And a guy who Steamer projects to have a three seven eight one three one ERA going forward, uh, and Felix Hernandez three seven five ERA in my personal head projection one three four type WHIP. Those guys got to go, man. Let me in hit this, you with some names then. In ready? this league, in this league, you can you can find that guy again. I feel like you can and, get with this, or you oh, can get with that. You can get with this. I got, I got some names for you. You know what? Put Pomeranz and that. Felix together, I guess, okay? Because you got similar projection for both of them. Though I do believe Pomeranz is the more cuttable one. Oh, see, way more strikeouts for Pomeranz, but maybe he's more cuttable because more home run problems, worse home park. And never really gone this far. And I think that if you do want to get rid of Felix, I think there would be one buyer. You're not going to get a whole lot, but there's probably at least one buyer. So that's why I say Pomeranz more cuttable. I'm going to start low just to, just to kind of give a head nod to this guy who's been pitching well. It's Pomeranz's own teammate. What about Eduardo Rodriguez now? Four straight starts of uh, three or fewer earned. He had an 859 ERA before his DL stint. Comes back, he's got a 263 with 21 strikeouts in his last 24 innings. Any chance you're taking Eduardo Rodriguez over either of those two? Let's focus on Pomeranz because, again, I think Felix – you can do something else with, but we're talking about actually cutting Pom- Pomeranz in a 12-team league right now. Uh, I mean, good old Ed. Good old Ed. Good old pitch Ed's, tip and Ed. Ed's going to be the death of me. Uh, he did something. He did something. I, either he got rid of the cutter and just is throw, or he got rid of the slider and he's throwing a, a harder cutter or a harder slider. He did something with his breaking ball, so there has been an actual change since he came back. There was a, a concrete change to his slider, uh, cutter, whatever you want to call it. It's now somewhere in between where a slider and cutter used to be. He used to have a slider at, you know, 81 to 83, uh, and a cutter that was uh, 87, 88. Now he throws a slider that's 85, 86. I think, yeah, I think that's interesting because it's uh, the same velocity as his changeup. So maybe, you know, it looks like his changeup and then it goes the other direction. Um, it also, there's been some change in the uh, vertical movement, obviously, that has, a, you know, for a slider, that has a lot to do with uh, the velocity of the pitch. So, um, you know, maybe this is, uh, it, it, when you're talking about tipping pitches, maybe it's that, um, that finger thing or... He had a glove fanning thing, too. So maybe he's worked on on the glove, Eduardo Rodriguez, without you know manipulating that glove where it's fanned for one pitch, tighter for another. Right, right. Um, yeah, and then also you know spin type stuff, and maybe that first five feet of velocity. Maybe there's some sort of uh, something they can pick up there. So um, you know, let's see. Let's uh, let's just uh, look at what he's looked like um, over the last since he came back. Basically, um, yeah, slider at 85. Change still looks good. Uh, home runs on the change. I don't know, man. I uh, I think if Eduardo Rodriguez had a good start, you know, that I wanted to get, um, maybe the schedule set up a certain way. 
Um, you know, let me see. I can probably get that up. But uh, if if there was a start that I needed Eduardo Rodriguez for, I would do it. But otherwise, no. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's, not uh, just like not just on the face of it. Just next up. But I made you think there, right? We just had a yeah. little we just had a little debate there on it. What about a Zach Davies? For the uh, Milwaukee Brewers, been having a quiet, solid season over there. They're doing some things. By the way, MLB came out with their project or their updated uh, organizational rankings for prospects. They were number one. Yankees number two. I think you could flip them. You know, e- either one, one or two. But both of those teams had a great trade deadline, and they're really building towards something. Yeah, the nice thing about Zach Davies is that his next uh, start is against Atlanta. And then the start after that, one, two, three, four, five, Cincinnati. Uh, Cincinnati's offense not too scary these days. No, no, no. I, I, I'm okay even going and messing with it in Cincinnati. Did you say it was in Cincinnati or at home? No, it's home. But, you know, Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but at least it's home cooking. Um, you know, Davies is, is excellent at suppressing exit velocity. And I think it's one of these uh, – Those, it's a the excellent changeup that he's got. It is. Changeup um, messes – is it is it the changeup that really messes with FIP? If you have a great changeup and you can do some of these exit velocity it, suppressing things, I think it does, and it comes up in a couple different ways. People who listen here regularly know that I've talked about how uh, if you have an excellent whiff rate on your changeup, it doesn't always turn into strikeouts, um, and yet you know a lot of those pitchers are good pitchers still, and I think that's I think that's the uh, and I'm going to name some pitchers, and they're not all going to be excellent pitchers, but the Jared Parker, uh, Michael Walker group, um, those guys have often been better than their whiff rate, uh, have often been better than their strikeout rates, and have had strikeout rates that were lower than their whiff rates would suggest. And I think that is a sort of soft contact situation. You throw the change up sometimes, and you want contact. Yeah, you, you so, want that dribbler to the third yeah. baseman, easy out, or double play. Even and, even some of that medium contact, like when Sonny Gray is on, he can be upwards of like a 55% medium contact. That's right to the infielder. That's that's not difficult to turn into outs. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think uh, I think Davies has a little bit of a whiff of uh, Kyle Hendricks about him. Or or Marco Estrada. Yeah, maybe. More more, uh, Hen- more Hendricks than Estrada. Do you have a, a split between those two, Estrada and Hendricks? Uh, well, I guess for uh, Estrada, I'd want to see um, like r- a real rising fastball, um, and I don't really see that. I didn't for... even know you liked Kyle Hendricks. You never really talk about him. Oh yeah, no, I never did. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, he's a. I think he's more Kendricks because Estrada uh, has that rising that rising fastball, so he's more over the top with a straight change. Estrada's like Tyler Clippard. Let me say this Tyler though. Tyler Clipper and Estrada are the same guy. So Kyle Hendricks, you say that Davies has some hints of him. That means, or, or I'm interpreting it to mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that in like a two-month sample of, of good luck, if you're, if you're trying to capture lightning in a bottle and you're looking for best-case scenarios, could we see Davies go on a Kyle Hendricks kind of run and have eight starts of a – 250 ERA. I mean, Hendricks is down to 222. I know anyone can, but you're trying to, you know, handicap it percentage-wise. Do you put Davies uh, ahead of of most waiver wire fodder? And I sh- I'm sure Davies is on a lot of wires in 10 and 12 team leagues. Do you put him ahead of them in terms of being able to maybe get that run 
of of a of, of eight or nine starts down the stretch here where he could have a great ERA like that because in fact I think he actually kind of already had one until the six earned runs against the Dodgers interrupted it. His last eleven starts, he does have a two forty seven ERA. So I guess he's already done it. I answered my own question there with the stats. <laughs> but could he do it again? Because he's already in. You know, uh, yeah, he, can, can I, I can't. I can't go that far just because. Um, well, I don't know. Maybe I, the, the thing that's funny about Kyle Hendricks is he only has, you know, he has that that one changeup that he cuts and and um, and, and uh, fades. So, uh, you know, the the big the big question about Davies was, you know, does he have anything beyond that changeup? Because the sinker, you know, is you know much like um, much like Hendricks, the sinker, you know, doesn't go very hard. Uh, I would actually say that uh, Davies' curve might be better than Hendricks, mm-hmm. uh, but he probably doesn't cut and fade his his uh, his changeup the same way. Yeah. I so um, the the this I'll just say this. This is what I would say. If I had Drew Pomerantz on my team, and I'm looking at Pomerantz, his next start is against the New York at home. Okay. I and I'm saying, well, look, Zach Davies next start is against Atlanta at home. I'm going to say I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to drop Drew Pomerantz. I'm going to, you know, let caution fly and I'm going to get that Zach Davies start against Atlanta and then I'm going to start this whole machine up again. And you go you go from there exactly. Maybe you don't plan out so far into the future where you're saying, okay, then there's this, this, and this. Right now, give me redrafts, a, man. We're getting to the point where you know, don't get who hung cares? up on guys. Exactly. And, <laughs> like, and who cares about whether it's roto or head to head. You're going for the crown, and you yeah. can't get caught. I paid a whatever round pick. I don't care. I don't care. Frankly, I don't care by like May 15th what you paid for a guy, but it's certainly on August 5th. Yeah. I do not care what you paid for a guy because it, it's irrelevant right and now. And don't look too far. Don't look too many starts out in the front either because, Things for example, change. you could say, well, I don't like that Pomerantz has that Yankee start, but one, two, three, four, five games later, he's at Cleveland. Well, guess what? If anything goes wrong in the schedule, anything gets happens, he gets skipped to start, he's at Baltimore. Baltimore. Yeah, and then at Detroit. Yeah, so, you know, and, and you know, that at Baltimore do the do like duo right there, scary as heck. Yeah, you don't want that. You don't want either right now it's it's Stephen Wright. Look at the next start and see what you'd like of the next start. There's a grouping in that sort of 60 to 75, maybe even 60 to 80. Where those guys, any one of those guys can have a really great start. And um, you might as well just be picking between them. Is John Gray ahead of everybody that we've talked about here so far? Because he does. John Gray is my homeboy. I understand. And I'm I'm fully on the train with you. This was a guy, despite going to Oklahoma, you know. Everyone makes bad decisions every once in a while. So despite the fact that he went to the University (laughs) of Oklahoma, Hook'em Horns, uh, despite that, I still. Showed love for him because I watched him decimate my Longhorns, to be honest, and and so you know I was I was a big fan of this guy going in, uh, in into the draft. Of course, he goes to Colorado. I was like, that's that sucks. But it looks like he has something that can work in Colorado. He has the Coors handicap, but is he still ahead of all these guys that we've talked about, even Felix Hernandez? Hmm. You know, you got to kill your babies, man. Someday. Wait, what? Someday Felix Hernandez is not going to be your homeboy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Someday, you know, 
young stud John Gray with the 98-mile-an-hour fastballs. You just got to move to him. Um, you know, Zips doesn't like him. It's a pretty strong Babbitt uh, situation there. Zips wants to give him a 331 Babbitt. Because he's um, had some pretty bad ones in the past, has John and Gray. also where he homes, where he yep. calls yep. home. So. I, li- I like that better, where he homes. Where he homes. I'm going to start using that now, where he homes. Um, <laughs> but, but home and away this year. Nine starts home, ten starts on the road. Skills have been very good. Skills have been much better at home for John Gray. 10.2 strikeouts, 5.1 strikeout-to-walk ratio at 8.8, 2.4 on the road. Probably because his curve is flatter, uh, so he does the slider thing more yep. at home. But, um, you know, uh, but long-term, it's still good that he's doing that curve more. And uh, I think that I like that. I like that he's throwing the change harder, and he's throwing the change to righties. He's starting to become more of a, a, a four-pitch four pitcher, five-pitch pitcher. And um, the best part of it is I like him for his next two starts. I like him for his next two starts better than any guy that we've talked about. Um Although I haven't actually looked at Felix's next start, but John Gray gets probably Miami at home and then Philly at, at, on the road. At Philly, yeah. I like those two starts a lot. And if, uh, and if you think we're talking over, you know, guys that uh, that are heavily owned, still only fifty-three percent at ESPN for John Gray. We are talking in a ten and twelve league context right now. We are on a little bit of a shallower end. You guys know we like to go deep sometimes, but we we bring it back to the shallow end sometimes as well. And that's where we're focused here with these uh, with these with these cut potentials. And you're uh, listening to to us on a Friday, so Felix is starting tonight against Anaheim. Mm-hmm. And uh, so. If you own him, you might as well. You should probably pitch him against Anaheim. If Anaheim, you can't start him I, here, yeah, you that gives you him. all the answer that you need yeah. to know about cutting him. And then, and the nice thing is that if he does pitch well tonight, I mean, you can watch him a little bit uh, because if he if he does pitch a little bit better tonight, you know, the next one is either Detroit or Oakland, and that's fine. The one after that is Anaheim again. So yep. uh, there is a three start thing here where I would, you know. If he can't do it this these next three starts, then he's droppable. Like honestly, this is the, the that's about the best three start uh, grouping you can have. Anaheim twice, and I'm not talking crap on Detroit, but you know, throw that in between. I quit in an Anaheim sandwich. I quit. Uh, and, no, and it's at home too against Detroit. And yeah. here's the thing, my beloved Tigers, not very good on the West Coast. Just as a general thing, these past few years so i know historical doesn't necessarily play out but this very team the team that they had last year and the year before isn't terribly different and they've struggled on the road so i can understand what you're saying there i didn't take i didn't take personal offense to it. but so even so, if yeah i take john gray over pomerantz in a second to get you know to get those two starts yep um you you, you have a high likelihood of getting two better starts out of the next two uh, matchups for john gray than you do out of pomerantz uh, Felix, we've already we've already sort of put him a little bit above that, and the matchups uh, say the same thing. Jay Happ just continues to roll. You know, now he's going to show up. If you're looking at like dollars earned or the ESPN Player Rater, he's really high because he's 11th on the ESPN Player Rater, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that he leads the national uh, the American League in wins. In fact, I think he's tied for the major league lead. But doing the math. He doesn't. He doesn't go too far down, even if you take out wins, because they have the the five categories. You get a point total for all of them. I, I removed wins, and J Hap was still. Hang on, let me get it. Let me get it. There he is. He was still 28th among starters this year, um, compared to the 11th that he had 
for being with 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 the wins. So wins are definitely helping J Hap this year. He gets a 3.47 on their on their calculation, uh, 3.47 of his com- of his total 784. So almost 50% of his value is coming from wins. But it's not like the rest of his numbers have been bad. He hasn't quite carried over everything that he got from Pittsburgh because that strikeout rate is, I mean, he was just so lights out at the end of last year with Pittsburgh. J-Hap was, we knew it wasn't going to be the same coming back over to the AL in Toronto, but it's been really good. Again, an MLB best 15 wins, 309 ERA, 115 whip, 7.7 strikeouts, 2.7 walks, 1.0 homers. Where do you currently stand with the 33 year old J-Hap? It's, so infuriating to watch because the the fastball only goes you know 90 91 92 and it looks fairly straight and the batters keep missing it and you're just like what is happening here and he basically has a whiff rate on that four scene that's maybe close to three times better than league average wow is there some deception there then or what what it's it's got an inch and a half more ride than, than usual. So, wow. uh, and I think there has to probably be uh, a little bit of a deception on top of it in, in terms of how it comes out because it's, uh, it's people just can't hit it. He's, he's, he's happy, you know, he's Estrada in too, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, n- probably no surprise that they're on the same team there. Uh, yeah. Because the, the changeup has terrible movement. In terms of if you looked at it just by itself, you'd say, what? That is a terrible changeup. Here's and, the thing, though. I interviewed Jay Happ, and he said your changeup is terrible. So, you know, stop ta- stop throwing shade. That, that, that's just what he said. I'm just I'm just the messenger. Don't kill me on that one. But but if you pair that changeup with the four seam, uh, you know, it drops two inches lower and, and has seven or eight miles an hour. And he's what he's done now is he's thrown the changeup less often, so people are, are less likely to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the change becomes a pitch that sets up the next pitch or becomes a surprise pitch um, and uh, and has been way more effective now that he's using it less. The change in the curve have gone from being bad pitches to being good pitches because he's using them less. And that's, I think, the hardest thing to, in baseball to know is which pitches that a guy throws are so good that he can just like the 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 Matt Shoemaker idea the proverbial less is more versus yeah, when like, to ramp will them up Matt Shoemaker be better if he throws tons more splitters or not and uh turns out and, he was and it turns out he was will Marcus Stroman be better if he throws a lot more sliders uh yes is the answer but uh you know I think in this case Hap took his two worst pitches threw them less often and they got better uh, because he wasn't relying on them, he wasn't throwing them so often. People weren't guessing on them. So right now he's like mostly cutter, sinker, four seam, which is just weird, weird, weird. Uh, but um, you know, it's a fairly, it's it's more of a slider type cutter because it's, it averages eighty six. Um, so he, he's got that range from you know ninety two to eighty five on those three fastballs. And then every time you get comfortable in that range of velocity, then he starts uh, dropping in the, the change in the curve around 80. So, like, yeah. So, I mean, he's, uh, he's got good command. Um, he's, uh, you know, right now, the only thing that's really going against him is that he's not going to start as, um, as often as other guys. Yeah. Because of the six man in Toronto for now, 
uh, J Hop and company. You can't play the, and it's going to be real hard to play the. Oh, this is his next start game. So. Exactly, because you don't know how they're going to manipulate it with the six, and when and when Sanchez might get skipped, everyone else bumps up. So that's going to be tough to play that forecasting sort of game. Yeah, I, and I I I throw my hands up a little bit because it's. Um, I mean, I, I I can I just explained to you why it works, but when you watch it, it just looks so thoroughly unimpressive. It, it really doesn't look like it should have this much success. I definitely agree with you to that end. Yet, J-Hap continues to Even have success. Even more than, than Hendricks. Like people, people slag on Hendricks who have more of a scouting background because they say, here's a you know, boring righty, you know, boring command and control righty with a 90-mile-an-hour fastball. You know, there's a million guys like that out there. But um, you know, I think that command ended up being so plus that it works for him. And in Estrada's case, I guess the, the deception, the ride, and the command all sort of work together. But it only works like this. You know what I mean? It only works with this pitch mix. It didn't work with other pitch mixes. No, exactly. Um, I mean, it, it's not, makes a, it's not always nervous. going to work. Yeah, it makes you a little nervous, I think. All right, you know, we're going to close with two hitters uh, on each end of the spectrum right now. One just out of his mind, and the other don't even know what's going on through his mind because he's just not hitting very well at all. Let's start with the positive one. Let's talk about David Dahl. Well, we mentioned him when he, when he came up. Obviously, a guy in Coors we were positive on. He's, he's just been awesome, though. He's like, I don't even need Coors. I'm just going to beast out no matter what. Uh, he's actually done more of his damage on the road so far, only three games at home for David Dahl. But in 42 plate appearances, he's got a 375, 405, 625 line with three bombs. Five ribbies, I mean, 15 hits, eight runs. I mean, we know small sample size caveats. I get that. We want to just talk about him in general, though. He's been excellent. They've had outfielder issues uh, staying healthy. I think he's got a good chance to keep playing uh, pretty much no matter what. He's another lefty, which is interesting because, like, even when Parra comes back, then they have four lefties. But you have to play Dahl over Parra right now, right? Because it's not like Parra was good before going on to the DL. He has got to be their fourth outfielder, right? Uh, yeah, I mean they they seem committed to playing him every day, and um, I don't know why certain daily fantasy sites don't have him in their lineups. Kind, kind of frustrating. We won't name names. We'll, we'll be we'll behave, oh, but geez. Rick Sports. Uh, <clears throat> <laughs> That's weird. Uh, oh, got this bad cough right now. It's bad. Come on, you gotta, uh, you gotta well, get Gonzalez him in there for gets, us. Gonzalez gets hurt. Uh, you're gonna have some DH games. Someone can play first. I don't know who it would be. Cargo? Cargo, I think. If, if you're going to move one of them, even though he's not a... I don't think he's a terrible defender, is he? My, my, my perception of Carlos Gonzalez is not that he's a terrible defender. No, but uh, Blackman's better and, and Paro's so better. And so is Dahl. Yeah. Uh, that's an interesting uh, conundrum they've got, and they didn't, uh, they didn't fix it. Well, when, uh, Handedness doesn't really help either. No, no, but can you... Um, could they move Para in in August here? When's he oh. even, when's he even expected back? He's on the DL. Yeah, he's expected to begin his rehab assignment. Okay, okay. Uh, uh July twenty fourth. Oh well, that didn't happen. <laughs> this is August fifth. Keep waiting. I mean, I have him in a couple of leagues. I'm like, you know, I I have him in leagues where you know strikeout leagues where strikeouts count against you where. I thought here's a guy who's gonna have you know give us some good homers and I thought he was gonna be great with them. I thought he was kind of an easy scoop 
to, yeah. to, real, to really get going. Actually, he might have started that rehab. I'm looking right now. He started it on the 29th, had two games in AA. He's now had three games in AAA. This is Gerardo Parra. Why so, are they still playing him down there? Usually that's good enough. He is working his way back. It's been five games so far, and we'll see what's what. Wow. His offense is rated really poorly. It's been it's a nightmare. It's not walking off. But it's, I mean, in terms of fantasy, not as much of a nightmare. Well, you know, no, because he's 65 and 6 with decent numbers. Here's the thing. Uh, interestingly enough, he's almost got the same amount of plate appearances as he had with Baltimore. And after that big 100 games with Milwaukee, Gerardo Parra had a 140 OPS plus. With Baltimore and Colorado, he's put up 69s with both of them. Interestingly enough, though, that's not nice in this instance. It's no, the one no. instance where 69 is not nice. Well, maybe Parra turns into a fourth outfielder type for them. I mean, they he, turns he's, back into because that's what he right, that's, that's what he's yeah, been. That's what he was, and maybe he just spells like Cargo's got some wrist thing. Maybe he spells injured guys and uh, gets in there when he can and. Um, you know, it's not like he's a real defensive asset. I mean, he's not in center field, at least. Uh, used to be, and I don't think he – I think his defense has This year he rates okay there, but uh, for his career, minus seven in center field. So Not sexy, not sexy. Better better, better in the corner outfielders. Uh, yeah, I think he's probably a backup at this point. I mean, Dahl – it's not that they're necessarily looking to the future, but Dahl is playing so well right now that – And they're on the fringe of contention. They're 54-54. And the and the type of contract they actually gave Para, where he gets um, you know nine million a year for the next two years, it's not the type where you say, oh, we're paying him starters money, so we got to you know put him out there. Exactly. Nine million, you could still be a fourth outfielder. That's fourth outfielder money, and they were hoping to get a starting outfielder on fourth outfielder money, yeah. and it just hasn't come together. And I don't know how much he's been injured while he was playing this year too, so we could give maybe Para a little bit of break on that as well. It could be a a situation there but I think Dahl's going to continue to play I think you can feel comfortable with him in your lineup every day right now um, you know he's going to have to slow down for him to start losing playing time I don't know what it's going to take for Chris Davis with a C to start losing playing time but he's clearly not the best Chris Davis in baseball right now you just go back to July 1st so basically his last month 26 games 158 273 263 that's his triple slash that's horrific three homers it, it, it just hasn't been good um hasn't really been good for even longer than that i just i just kind of used that that end point there but honestly if you really look if you span back over his last 60 games so so two months worth 216 323 427 with 12 homers with 12 homers and 33 ribbies so that paced to about 30 90 which you could, you could get away with, but the, obviously with the triple slash, you kind of knew that that pace was going to fall, and it has fallen. So outside of a really hot start for, for Chris Davis with a C, it hasn't been that good. Honestly, first 11 games, 980 OPS. Last 92, 750. So are we dealing with nagging injury situation here where it's a guy like maybe a, like a McCutcheon or I'm starting to think that Bryce Harper is playing through nagging injuries where they can play. They can go to the post. They talk to their manager and say, I can play for you, but I'm not a hundred percent. Or is there something more going on with Chris Davis? One thing I'm worried about with Chris Davis is that uh, the last time he sucked this bad uh, was there was a fastball thing going on where they weren't throwing him fastballs and they just kept throwing him junk. And lo and behold, right now he's seen the fewest fastballs of his career. 
how does he trick them into throwing the stuff last year then and then the year before? Because he's now, now he's got an on-off sort of deal. Excellent 2013. He's the opposite of the Giants. Uh, odd number years. Excellent 2013. Terrible 2014. Excellent 2015. Terrible 2016. And, you know, it also in 2014, he had the whole thing where he got a suspension because he was still taking Adderall, even though he didn't have the exemption for it. I don't know anything about the exemption status for this year and if he's if he's still able to use it or not. And I don't know how much of a role it actually plays. Um, but you're also talking about how he's not getting he's not getting cheese anymore. They're not they're not trying to get that sneak the cheese past the rat, as uh, Mark DeRosa is is fond of saying you know the the thing that's difficult about using pitch type values is that um when a guy's going well then all of his pitch type values are going well because all of his balls and play are going well and it's like it's still still got tons of babbit noise in it right of course um but um you know when you look at what davis did last year against sliders uh and change-ups those were uh, some of his best years against sliders and changeups. At least he was better than his career average against against them that year. So if he's you know hitting your sliders or cutters and your changeups like he did last year, then you have to throw him the harder stuff. Uh, this year he's a negative against sliders, a negative against curveballs. He always is. He's bad against curveballs. Uh, a negative against changeups, uh, a negative against split fingers. So basically he's a negative against everything except for f- fastballs and cutters. So you just don't throw in fastballs and cutters. And his pitch value against fastballs is right on par with the 2014 season. Yeah, I mean, it's, look, this everything lines up so much like 2014. And uh, let me, there's one more thing. They weren't throwing it in the zone so much, um, and he was still chasing because he doesn't have great um, uh, sense of the zone. No, a lot of Chris Davis's walk rate uh, goodness comes from the fact that they're scared of him and, and anybody could kind of take those pitches. And by BIS plate discipline, um, you know, is two the 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 two twenty fourteen twenty sixteen look very similar in terms of zone percentage. And um, I don't know, they're just not throwing in the zone right now. They're not throwing uh, they're not throwing him uh, fastballs, and he's still swinging. I mean, it's still uh, he's sw- he's swinging too much, and uh, you know, he doesn't have that great discipline. So if he stops swinging, then he still can get into two strike counts where. All of a sudden, he's stuck, and he doesn't really have a two-strike approach, so he's just going to swing through that last pitch. So, I don't know. It's not Uh, a good situation. With with power being so prevalent this year. I might trade him. I I was actually going to go the other way and say, since we're talking shallower leagues, is there any way you'd cut him? Mm, What's the difference between him and Chris Carter right now? Actually. let me pull up Chris Carter's numbers before I start spouting that noise. I, I really don't know how, how well Chris Carter's doing this year. I can pick up Chris Carter and then platoon them, and then Chris Davis never has to see a left-handed pitcher again in his life. Oh, yeah, they're virtually identical this year, by the way. Like, identical. Um, yeah, look at that. So if it is a daily league situation, you got to probably start uh, you got to start platooning. Yeah, Although like, th- there's Chris no... Carter's a righty, so, you know... But I still might actually play Chris Chris Carter uh, against a righty over Chris Davis against a lefty. Well, because Chris Davis, he doesn't have a platoon split this year. It's seven eighty two, seven sixty one. Yeah, but I wouldn't go by. Let me. I know uh, you, 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 it's not. He doesn't own it in in a one year sample for sure because you don't even own it after a several yeah. year for, sample. For I his d- career, he's got a one twenty nine WRC plus against a ninety eight. So. Uh, and the ISO, the ISO goes down against lefties. 
what's happened this year is that his stuff against righties has just gone down to meet his stuff against lefties. <laughs> yeah, because look, career 744 OPS against lefties, uh, career 865 OPS against righties. Yeah, so I mean that that's fair. That, your point holds because the the data backs just it up. Give him, just give him just give him the advantage. Is what I'm saying is yes. try to give him the advantage. Play him when he has the advantage. Try to not. Uh, and then, what you if know, you don't have that luxury though? What if you cannot manipulate your lineup every day for a Chris Davis with a C? It's just too good to. I just can't do it. I mean, you, you're. I'm with you. I'm playing devil's tank, advocate on this. Batting average tanked. You know, you, all you want is another 10 home runs out of him. He's projected to hit 13. You but know, you, you knew you were drafting batting average risk. So if you didn't right. at least plan for it, it's not like a 262 was so good last year. You're like, oh, that's going to hold up rock solid. So if, if, if you were planning all right, it, this shouldn't be absolutely killing you, even though it does sting to see Chris Davis at a 221. But I was just playing devil's advocate thinking, you know, with the power being up, maybe there's a situation but I don't even know who you necessarily would want to pick up. Because here's the thing. He can he can get hot. Chris Davis and reminds me sometimes of Edwin and Canarcio and that like once they hit that first homer, they go on the binge. And you know, it's clockwork with Edwin, it seems this year. It has not been clockwork with with Chris Davis. He has not really had that uh, that flat out binge where he just goes ape. So I think you do have to hold him though, because what what if he does hit 18 homers the rest of the way. Would anybody be really surprised? Even as bad as he's been this year, would anybody really be surprised if Chris Davis ran his way up to uh, to 50? Or excuse yeah, it's about 40. Real, real hot in Baltimore, you know? Yeah, ex- the dog days are going to be pretty pretty bananas there. So, okay. No, I, I, like I, I said. I think he'll finish with 30. So you'll still get at least 30. So you'll still get your you'll still get eight more homers, you know, in terms of let's see here. We can do this real quick. Uh, he's projected to have eight more homers. Let's just go straight by uh, ROS projections. We'll go with Steamer. Steamer, rest of season projections. Uh, and guys who are supposed to hit more than eight. Uh, Jose Abreu, not on your wire, not doing well. Uh, Carlos Santana. Listen, I guess if Might you could be switch, on your wire. If you could switch between Davis and Santana, it wouldn't be crazy. Santana's going to hit for a better average and is just having a better year all around if it's that sort of a shallow league. I like Santana. You you kind of want to hit him, send him against lefties anyway, but uh, he's a switch hitter, so at least you don't have to. I've got one. Uh, yeah. T- teammate Pedro Alvarez, who's got an 882 OPS against righties this year, projected, projected for 10 for more. Projected for 10 home runs. Projected for 10 home now, runs. We should, and we just, should, and we is should, whooping the ball right now. We should say that Chris Davis – on these projections, we we're saying you're going to at least get eight. The projection is 13, which leads first baseman for Steamer. We will point that out. But we're saying if it's a worst case scenario, you're you're going to get eight, eight to ten. Um, and and so we're looking at guys who are are supposed to be around that ten mark. So I mean, they're only you're only I mean, if Adam Duvall's out there, um, hard to argue against the guy who's just you know all star whooping the ball. Um, what about like you know, a Mark Reynolds? In Coors, he's he's projected for eight. Um, I'm pulling up his numbers right now. He's more of just, a left herder. Uh, yeah, he's a righty, and and to play a guy against lefties in Coors takes if, maybe as a platoon guy, but even then, I mean, that's like twice a week or something on average. So Alvarez is much more likely to be able to play him everywhere. He's a strict platooner. I mean, you really, you know, never oh, play yeah. him against lefties. You, you do not mess with uh, him at all. He's a 
Thankfully, they usually take him out. He has thirty play. Pedro Alvarez has thirty plate appearances. The against problem Texas this year. The problem there is that you can't you can't uh, you can't pair him. You can't do a, a daily lineup pairing. They're the same team. Oh yeah, that's right. You, you could with Santana. Um, who you know sometimes the the batting average scares people off with Santana. So. Um, I don't know what his availability is in your leagues. In uh, I st- Yahoo, I still wish he was better. I, I love Carlos Santana. I just always kind of hoped. I mean, that's a ten-teamer. He might be out there. Let me check. Uh, let me check ESPN really fast. They cater more to ten-teamers. That's why we yeah. usually go there to check to check that uh, that rating. Let me get Carlos Santana. Ooh, Mike Napoli. Napoli. Now he's probably been a hot pickup recently, though. So check his availability. I'm getting Santana. Nine, same as Santana. Santana's at 81. So yeah, th- these guys are pretty widely owned right now. I think. Uh, what'd you say Alvarez's was? Uh, I said Napoli was 79. Napoli's Alvarez 73 over at ESPN. Alvarez is 10 percent. Yes, he's completely off the radar, and he's killing righties this year. Yeah. So you can you can get that platoon situation uh-huh. cooking he's not 10 percent at espn as well so i don't well, I, you don't do the cut you don't, least, you don't cut davis for alvarez but maybe you add him and, and try to try to well, trade yes davis. that's what i was going to say add pedro alvarez try to trade chris davis in maybe even take a two for one or 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 take a, a step back in power and say, oh, I want I want batting average, which your team probably needs. <laughs> yeah, if you've got Chris Davis, you might need some average anyway. So, so pick up Pedro Alvarez for the power and trade um, trade Chris Davis. I mean, would you trade Chris Davis for Eric Hosmer? I you would. Know? I don't think my competitor would. Because mm. he, here's what I've noticed, and this is this is anecdotal. I get it, but I feel like a lot of people who draft Hosmer really like Hosmer. Like there's certain guys that. When they're drafted, it's by somebody who's like oh. full believer in them. Trade Chris Davis for Jose Abreu. I okay. I think you can get that done. Because the Jose Abreu owner is like, where's my power? I'm tired of Jose Abreu. Exactly. And I doubt there's anybody who's who's loved Jose Abreu their whole lives. That's a great move. That's maybe that's Freddie Freeman. You know, similar deal. Get you know, get some batting average for your Chris Davis, uh, and then go to the wire uh, for your power and get Pedro. Um, that actually makes more sense in today's league too, where you know power is more prevalent, prevalent, and and batting average is harder to get. I'm breaking news bulletin coming into the sleeper on the bus podcast. Oh, there it is on the wire, coming across the wire. Jose De Leon will make his MLB debut on Saturday against the Red Sox. This is the end of the transcript. <laughs> oh, did you guys hear that? We got a new system set up. Uh, that was definitely not me in a stupid voice. So, Jose De Leon, we're going to finish with it. We were supposed to finish with, with Chris Davis here, but uh, breaking news. We, we're going to give you all the breaking news. Don't worry. Jose De Leon, so many people have been waiting for, for him to come up because he's been an intriguing prospect. I think he was a pop-up guy last year, or was it two years ago that he really burst onto the scene? Um, I think it was, yeah, it was last year. Oh, no, two years ago. 2014, he really busted out, held up last year again. This year continued to pitch pretty well for for AAA and the PCL. Big strikeout guy, definitely not on the level of Julio Urias, but was top 30 at the three major uh, ones that that. Why we need to get ours on here, by the way. We need to get the Fangraphs top 100 on these baseball reference. We need to talk to Sean Foreman about that because mm-hmm. I would I'd like to read ours off along with these other three. Um, Outlets. Baseball America had him 23rd. MLB had him 24th. Baseball Prospectus had him 28th. So Jose De Leon, a 6'2", 190 righty.
for the Dodgers. Eno, what do you got? Wow, uh, in the most in the most recently improved Kato Kato. Uh, I think it's Kato. That's what I. Kato. That's how I say it personally. Uh, the uh, statistics-based prospect ranking system uh, had had it Alex Bregman, Dylan Cousins, which I think make a lot of prospects. People say your list is useless, but don't worry, don't worry. The point is not to hit on every single one. The point is actually to say, hey, here are the guys that the numbers like. It's different than the guys that the prospects like, and that's good. Let's all get along. Exactly. Uh, it's supposed to kind of make you think about some of these right. other guys. Right. Leon was third. Ooh. Right ahead of Gallo. And and come on, in terms of sniff tests, you're really going to, you know, be all over Dylan Cousins when the top, you know, ranking is Bregman, DeLeon, Gallo, Margot, Crawford, uh, Verdugo's weird, but whatever, Trey Turner, Ozzy Albies. Tons of names you'd expect, and then, and then yeah. he gets in there. I, I'm with you. If you're going to quibble over that, you need a better hobby because you're, I mean, <laughs> get real a little bit, right? Like, cause at some point you're looking, you're complaining to complain on those, you know? But the strikeouts rates have been great in the minor leagues. The walk rates haven't been amazing, but they have not been bad. And, um, I think even, you know, prospect people like him. So, um, let's see what Dan Farnsworth had to say about, uh, Mr. DeLeon. I was hoping that, uh, if he didn't, so I don't know how often they, Arizona Falls gets guys that actually pitched in the majors unless they were hurt. Because I was hoping that if he didn't get up this year, that he would pitch in the in, and he still might because he only has 52 innings. Uh, does De Leon. So even coming up here and maybe tacking on another another 30, 40 the rest of the season, I think he could still go to Arizona Fall League. I mean that'd be interesting because I really want to get a chance to look at him. Everything I've got on yeah, Jose De Leon is yeah to add a, add up some some volume everything I've got on him is just what I've read so I, I don't have any original thoughts on De Leon really no yeah uh you know Farnsworth probably wasn't as good against uh, 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 uh for pitchers as he was for hitters but uh he has only good things to say and you you know everybody can work a gun so it's nice to see that he's going to sit 93 94 and touch 96 with a plus change up uh the slider is a little bit slurvy uh, but for a right-hander, uh, that might be enough. I mean, you can throw the change up against righty. You can turn. Oh, I, I learned finally. Um, Chris Archer wouldn't tell me what the the uh, industry term was for a righty on righty change up. Uh, Dan Straley did tell me what it was. What is it? And uh, it's uh, girl on girl. That's hilarious. <laughs> so he can go girl on girl with the with the change up. Um, Why and- is it that? I want to do a whole nother pod. I'm scrapping this. <laughs> we're starting over and we're doing the whole hour and a half. On. Well, I think it's because the natural pairing of, oh, God, I did not just make a, sorry. That was very heteronormative. The, the heteronormative pairing. Yes, there we go. The heteronormative pairing of a uh, change I got you. righty on lefty. So I when you, you. a righty uh, change up, it's girl on girl, I guess. Um, anyway. Uh, I don't, you know, as far as homophobia in baseball goes, that's really I was gonna say that not the worst. <laughs> and we're not making excuses for them, but from some of the stuff that I know you've definitely heard, and I've heard stories of. Yeah, and right. the one time at the Arizona Fall League when I was trolling in the outfield and I was near a bullpen, and the oh, conversation yeah. that I recorded and heard, again, it would pale in comparison to what is a a crude. Uh, 
term here with the calling a change up to a righty a girl a righty righty change up girl on girl, but we're not making excuses for them. Not not a not a great thing, but uh, it, that's that's why they call it that. I, that that makes that makes sense at least. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I think uh, he's uh, especially uh, Pomerantz guys. Uh, people uh, looking, you know, that level. People looking for uh, something to to click. Let me see. In my 11 team league, um, I have um, at the bottom of my roster uh, that I'm I'm sort of doing this thing. I have Ikoff, but he's got San Diego coming up. Skaggs against Seattle, but then one, two, three, four, five at Cleveland. Probably keeping that. What about like uh, that? What about this is this oh, is a Blake Snell. I got Blake Snell in today against Minnesota, but his next pairing is either at Toronto or at New York. I don't really like either of those so much for Blake Snell. So I am right now going to put in a claim. And and I know the guys listen. Uh, so hello, uh, if you're listening to the podcast and you're in my league. Uh, I just got DeLeon. Screw you. No. <laughs> screw you for taking DeLeon because I ran through all my FA. That's hilarious. <laughs> screw you guys. I'm getting him. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, um, no. Screw you guys. I'm winning anyway. Ha. Eat it, y'all. Each, each and every one of you listening, please eat it. <laughs> That's a note to end on. I'm just saying, we're gonna end on that. You guys can can eat it for sure. Uh, we're gonna go. Eat, I'm gonna go eat for uh, eat some lunch for, for the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> you know, great week of podcasting. We will be back next Wednesday. Guys, be coming up with your nicknames because we're just gonna we're gonna give nicknames for everybody. The nickname is a lost art in sports, not just baseball in sports. And if you uh, notice, we didn't do any of that crappy. You know, add Y to shortened oh, name. Or, or the other one, the the, the A-Rod. Uh, oh, God. Like, like Matt Carpenter, M-Carp or something. Oh, uh, uh, R-Zim for Ryan Zimmer. You're going to, like, people call Eduardo Rodriguez Ed-Rod. I'm sorry. That's terrible. I don't care E-Rod. I don't care Ed-Rod. It's garbage. His name is Ed. It's garbage. It's Ed. It's a garbage nickname. You're a garbage human. <laughs> Be better. We're going to be coming up with the best nicknames here. If you didn't catch Wednesday's episode, go back, listen to all the amazing new nicknames just, that we came up with. The These are going to be on Baseball Reference soon, guys. I'm telling you. I'm going to get that pipeline going with with uh, Sean Foreman. Oh, my Foreman. God. Areola, dude. That's that so one has good. to be on there. You know, even before, <laughs> even before the uh, prospect ratings get on the pages, I got to get these nicknames on the pages. So that's going to be my goal. You know, I hope you have a great weekend. Maybe go, maybe check on a doctor for those fingers. I don't know. You do whatever you want, but we will be back. It's just a flash wound. I'm, I'm just saying. Uh, I think Paul Gustav and I will be back on Sunday. For those of you again that that were a little bit uh, displeased with his volume or with his audio, he did get a microphone. He's going to be filling in again for Jason, and then Eno and I'll be back next Wednesday. Eno, have a tremendous weekend. Thanks for listening.